0: Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Friedman Schaub, and we will be talking about his new book, The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with a Subconscious Mind. When you're struggling with anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem, Just keeping your emotions in check seems like a full-time job. Yet, what may hold you back in life is even more than your survival patterns. Our subconscious employs survival patterns like these to protect us from rejection, failure, and hurt. Dr. Friedman is a physician, researcher, personal development coach, and the author of the award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution. His research and advice has been featured in many publications, including Nature Magazine, or excuse me, Nature Medicine, Oprah Magazine, Huntington, Huffington Post, Reader's Digest, E. Low, and Shape. He is the host of the Empowerment Solutions and lives between Seattle, Washington, and the south of France. For more information, you can visit his website, which is drfriedman.com, and that's d r f r i e d e m a n n com. Now, with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Friedman to the show. Good day. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me
0: it is my pleasure and, and i'm looking forward to sharing this, some of the the insights that you have and because there are, i'm sure there are a lot of people out there listening right now that survival mode is a is a very common occurrence so um hopefully we can give some people some uh, some guidance with that so Um, Let's start, first of all, with with the idea of survival mode. So can you explain um, a little bit uh, about what it is and how does it um, appear, you know, uh, manifest in in our actions and behaviors?
1: You know, survival mode is um, a term that when you listen to it first, when you hear it, you think like, well, That may not be me because I have food on the table, I have some money in the bank, I have a roof over the head, so that's that's not me. But the fact is that since our childhood, we are primed to somehow look out for our protection, to survive means as a child to somehow not get in trouble, or to somehow not get judged, rejected, to have a little bit of love and support. And those patterns are so deeply ingrained inside of us that even though we are competent adults who can take care of ourselves, they can still run our lives. And especially when we are anxious, especially when we are dealing with stress, Those survival patterns come right back to the surface and make us act in ways that make us wonder, why? Why am I, for example, when I feel anxious, going back to shrinking down to the size of a child and, you know, hiding out or being really, you know, insecure to the extent that I want to be invisible or that I want to avoid talking to people I don't know, or I want to avoid to stand out. That's the typical invisibility survival pattern that can make us feel very stuck. And in the book, I'm describing the six most common survival patterns that you could say, like, you know, there are two types. There is an avoidance survival pattern, and then there is a pleasing survival patterns. And both, I mean, all six of them are usually something we go to throughout our lives. So that is, you know, the focus. How can we get out of those self-defeating and at times self-sabotaging patterns?
0: Yeah, yeah, and that, we're going to talk about those um, individually a little bit later. Um, but the these survival patterns are, um, as I mentioned in the introductions, um, In the unconscious. So, how is how can we um, kind of we guess move it from unconscious to the conscious? I mean, if it's something that's unconscious to us, is it uh, how how is that acceptable?
1: You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, it is simply in plain sight, but we don't see it. You know how some people are unconsciously chewing their nails or unconsciously grabbing, you know, the cigarette or getting the ice cream and don't even know that they are shoveling it all in because they need some comfort? These behaviors are all driven by the unconscious or subconscious, and the only way to know what's happening is pay a little bit more attention to ourselves. You know, where we really have to see that there are certain things that we do that ultimately I talk about, you know, giving our power away. They make us give our power away. I, I, for example, had the survival pattern of being a peacemaker and pleaser because that's what was required for me, you know, since I grew up. And so unconsciously I always said yes. Someone moves on the weekend, yes, of course, they're going to help you. Someone calls me in the, you know, middle of the night, wanted to talk about, you know, their problems with the girlfriend, yes, of course, they're going to listen to you. There was no no in my vocabulary. Someone had a problem, you know, a conflict with someone else, I was jumping in to be the mediator because I am Friedemann, which translated means man of peace. I am designated to be the peacemaker. And that awareness that this cost me a lot of energy, a lot of time, and it took me away from actually doing the things I wanted to do, that awareness changed everything. Just being aware of that we are stuck in those patterns and that those patterns somehow, you know, keep us on this autopilot mode. They don't make us happy because often we feel actually worse when we go through this pattern. They connect us, not with ourselves, but make us more dependent on others. In the end, they do not really help us to have a more fulfilling life. But it really starts with what you asked. How do we notice them? And I would say you notice them by your behaviors. You notice them by how it makes you feel, especially You know, the anxiety and the stress or the insecurity that comes with it. And you also know the consequence. You know, one pattern that, you know, about the pleaser and giver is that at the end of it, you feel drained. And sometimes you feel actually frustrated because you think, well, I just gave my whole Saturday afternoon to the move that, you know, you could have better organized. And I don't even get a thank you. I get a, you know, piece of frozen pizza, and that's it. And you want something in return. You know, you want to be at least, like, appreciated or getting a pat on the back, and if you don't get it, then you feel eventually angry, bitter, resentful. So just being aware of how we operate and, you know, the consequences of our unawareness, that is already a big step forward.
0: Yeah. Well I I can relate <laughs> to that uh please pleaser <laughs> type. I mean I mean you know I was a middle child, so I'm mean, was constantly, you know, the peacemaker, you know, trying to you know between the older and the younger. And uh, of course that in my name didn't you know didn't reflect peacemaker. But um yeah, and and you're right that, you know, when it gets to the point of, you know, here's a fact that there is a a sense of um, I didn't, you know, consider myself
1: in this process. And that is a sad thing, you know, that we do give eventually from an empty cup because we don't really fill ourselves up and we are telling ourselves that either it's selfish to take care of yourself or you don't deserve it or other people's problems are much bigger than your own and so there is you know the narrative that drives us to give and over give and it's sad because the relationships that you create with that pleaser mode are not very fulfilling because they're often one-sided I mean I know for myself that I used to be a really good listener, but if someone would actually ask me, "So, how are you doing? What's going on with you?" I was stumbling across my own words. I didn't even know how to answer that question. It didn't occur to me that I should even reflect on how I'm doing because I was so primed to only think about, well, what are other people feeling? What's going on with them? Talk about it. You know, it certainly made me good at my job, being a great listener and reflector, but it didn't make me necessarily a good friend if I couldn't really share what was happening with me.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Now, I mean, other than kind of being exhausted, you know, what what are some of the the downsides to being in a, a consistent state of survival?
1: Well, there are two major downsides. The one downside is that, you know, when when you think about survival patterns, they're usually triggered when we feel anxious or insecure or somewhat unsafe. And so we are going into these patterns to feel a little bit safer. So let's say the avoidance pattern is about, oh, I'm going to do anything to avoid risk, failure, judgment, and you're depending on that. So you don't say, oh, I'm bigger than this challenge or I don't have to take other people's opinion personally. No, you are simply basing your sense of safety by the absence, by the avoidance of any danger. And the other one is that you are, you know, wanting your sense of security from others by – pleasing them, by being there for them. And so you're, again, are not really self-reliant. You're not depending on yourself as a source of safety and self-worth. You need others. So this is what the, the power of way giving is all about. You depend on others to feel better and you don't depend on yourself. And the second downside is that you're so busy with either avoiding or pleasing that you don't really ask yourself, what do I want? What's important to me? Who am I? What is really my purpose? So living in survival mode leads eventually to a disconnection from yourself. And when you ask a 100 people with anxiety how comfortable they are being themselves, I bet you get 90 people who either say, not very comfortable, I don't like to be by myself, or they're saying, who are you talking about? I don't know who you're talking about because they have no connection to themselves. Anxiety and the survival patterns are like huge barriers to gain a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with ourselves. And, and so you're in this vicious cycle of always feeling anxious, always putting your energy and your hope and your power into other people's hands, and then more and more losing track and losing connection with yourself. And that is one reason that I observed in my over 20 years of uh, working with clients with anxiety. That's one of the reasons why people feel worse and worse over the years. You know, often it is said that anxiety is kind of the precursor to depression because it just exhausts you so much. And that is one reason that's so exhausting. You don't fill yourself up, you don't feel yourself, and you only scan around for potential danger or for potential rewards outside of you. It's a very, very, you know, difficult existence. And that's why I'm so passionate about this book, because it really helps you like a new owner's manual to gain <laughs> A new perspective, you know, like a new way of going through life that is not just about surviving.
0: Boy, that, that's that's great. And, um, now, when, you know, when you were talking about, um, the, that sense of self, that disconnection from sense of self, um, it, it sounds like it's a, um, a, like a slow burn in, in a way. I mean, that, that it kind of maybe chips away at that that connection. Is that kind of how it works, you know, that maybe, you know, it happens over a, a long, long period of time?
1: Yes, in general you could say so, but let's face it, I think most of us felt the closest to themselves early in their lives. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. when I was little, I saw myself very clearly as this happy-go-lucky blonde little child who could do no harm and no wrong. Life was magical, and, well, God, was I wrong? Because then I was told, like, well, you're a late bloomer. You better shape up who do you think you are. You cannot just have a C or let alone a B in school. Oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, all my, you know, innocence, disappeared. And all of a sudden I became, you know, this well-functioning boy who needed to have good grades to get loved, who needed to step into the role of the, you know, diplomat between my parents and my sister. And so all of a sudden I wasn't really connected to myself anymore and I just followed expectations. And so many of Mm -hmm. us do this. The moment, and now even worse than When you and I were little, you know, now it's like you are basically going to kindergarten and you better already shape up so that you can go to a good college. I mean, there is so much expectation, so much pressure, so little room to figure yourself out. And that is where I feel like, you know, when you ask, is it a slowly chipping away? I think actually what happens very often is also, that we get further and further away from ourselves. It's already starting when we are little, and then we are functioning, and then we are doing everything that we're asked to do, but eventually, you know, this is what I see in my YouTube channel where where young people respond to the one video that, I mean, there are many videos out there, but one video gets a lot of messages from young people and that video is the fear of getting old i mean that is like one of the, the highly messaged. and those people are like 16 19 years old and they are saying i'm afraid of getting old and i'm afraid of getting old because life already feels so dreadful i already feel like i'm pretty much living according to what everyone expecting to me and I'm pretty much becoming my parents, and I certainly don't want to be them, but I don't know what else to do, so I'm really afraid of getting old and looking back at my life and telling myself, so what was that all about? And that is really sad, you know, that we are so lost with even knowing what we want or connecting to what's right for us that already at such a young age we are feeling like, well, I don't know that this life is really worth it.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that is very sad. I mean, you know, it used to be, I'm sure when we were younger, it was like, I couldn't wait to get older so I could drive and, you know, have all of these freedoms, <laughs> you know, that I don't have, you know? And, um uh, so, but, but, it, you're, but it it has set the business, and it's interesting, now I think about it, and I know a couple of millennials, kids in the 20s that still don't drive. <laughs> they still don't want to drive. It's like, you know, that used to be the the main thing, you know, that that uh, little driver's license, um, it was a ticket to freedom for, for many folks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: I grew up in um, the black forest, and you can imagine there is nothing going on there. I couldn't <laughs> wait to have some motorized vehicle under my behind because I could finally get out. <laughs> that was definitely a big goal.
0: I bet, I bet, and you know, with the young people and that fear of, you know, of getting old, um, it it seems that you know in recent years that we have seen an increase in you know teenage suicide rates. I mean, it it you know when you know when I was young, I mean, you would rarely hear about you know suicides of you know, of young folks um but but it seems like that that's an increase is that something that you know this the fear of getting old kind of feeds into
1: yes yes that's really mm-hmm. basically about what is life really for what are we doing this for and uh and I do feel like, you know, it's a very, very sad thing that, you know, this increase in, in uh, teenage suicide, I think it may have to do with this incredible pressure and this incredible lack of freedom. And, you know, individualization is not even, you know, a word that is used because it's all about how do I fit in? not only in regards to what society wants, but also what, you know, the peers, social media, all those pressures are dictating. You know, this book is really helping people to take a break from all of this and just do some introspection and do some introspection and learn some key elements. I mean, I should have had as a subtitle, you know, the things that my parents never told me, but I wish they would. I mean, there are things that are very simply, you know, empowering tools that we don't get necessarily handed from anyone. We have to claim those, you know, uh, self-compassion, self-responsibility, being able to also be the, you know, the one who is committed to yourself in regards to how you choose to spend time and energy. And then there's also this this uh, important key, I'm calling them keys to empowerment, of self-love. I mean, I don't think that anyone ever told me how to love myself. In fact, whenever I tried, I was told that this is a bad thing because then you're going to only be too full of yourself, and then you're going to be arrogant, and then nobody's going to like you, so you better cut it off and, you know, judge yourself, criticize yourself, be hard on yourself. Knock yourself out with that, but loving yourself, oh, my God, that was not a good thing. And it's such a fundamental thing. It's such a birthright that we should actually really pursue. I think as babies, you probably have a closer love for yourself than when you're an adult. And and who teaches you that? And I think there are some ways that, you know, I have figured out can really help people just to open their hearts back up to themselves and and be kinder. And more, yeah. you know, caring and encouraging to themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, that—that that is, I mean, that self-criticism can be, can be real downer, you know. I mean, and, you know, and, and the the fact of of self-love, you know, there is a there's a point, you know, when you were talking about, you know, the the criticism of one might become arrogant or, you know, and people would like, I mean, there is a point when, um, or or is there a point when, you know, you can go from, you know, self-care, self-love to um, an extreme, can it be to an extreme where, you know, maybe compassion is a cost, the lack of compassion would be a cost.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we probably all are guilty of a lot of uh, self-criticism and we often call it like the inner critic, you know, this little devil inside of us that sounds like a teacher or like our mom or dad. And I mean, it's just one part of our subconscious programming and our subconscious self-defense system that ultimately says, well, I'm going to keep you In line, I'm gonna make sure that you know you are not making any mistakes. I'm gonna you know judge you and criticize you before anyone else can judge you and criticize. So it's it's in in fact you know this self criticism and negative self talk is not necessarily designed to destroy us or hurt us, but it is designed again as a survival pattern to make sure that we are not hurt or not rejected by others so it's like do it to yourself before anyone can do it to your uh, to, to you and uh, and so how do we get out of this well i think that the first thing to get out of it is to realize that you know we have to have some compassion for why we have such hard conversations with ourselves in the first place you know why mm-hmm. is it that we wake up in the morning and i often see this with with clients that have body issues that you wake up in the morning, go, you know, and look in the mirror and right away say, Oh my God, you're so fat and you look so ugly and and you know when I go back there I often hear the story of how they had a very critical parent who always made comments about, you know, their looks and only when they were pretty they were appreciated and all those things are deeply ingrained. And so then, you know, something is just repeating those. Part of us is just repeating those messages and this narrative because the belief is only if you are, you know, looking good or pleasing to others or only if you are unnoticeable or whatever those limiting beliefs are that I'm addressing in this book, Only those beliefs are shaping our reality. So we have to change those beliefs because as long as you believe, I mean, I believed I needed to be an achiever in order to somehow, you know, be accepted in the world. And then, you know, two doctorates later, I still didn't feel accepted because I didn't accept myself. So there is something also about, you know, really seeing that these beliefs should have an expiration date. They are, you know, we need to update them, and we update our computers all the time, but we are not updating our minds, and that's what we have to do. We need to really think about what are those core patterns, beliefs, triggers, perspectives, and how we see ourselves, how we see the world that really are outdated. They really limit us. They really don't bring us any happiness. Yes, maybe they were serving us at some point, but we have to really check and see, is that really how we want to continue to move forward? And I bet most people would say, no, I have a few things, and I really, really want to update.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Guys, we're about to through the show already, Dr. Frieden. So I want to take just a quick break and then when we come back, I want to just take a you know kind of a overview look um, of the the six you know survival patterns that, that people um, employ. And then and then maybe touch on you know additional keys uh, to self empowerment, including the self love. Okay? Sure. That's great. great. Okay. I, great. Everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. special guest is Dr. Friedman Schaub, and we are talking about his book, The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. And, again, you can find out more about this as well as his other books, his podcasts and articles, all of that kind of stuff, at his website, which is drfriedman.com com and that's D R F R I E D E M A N N dot com. Okay, with that for that Dr. Friedman. Hello. Great. Okay. So I want to talk, you know, kind of just do a, a high level um, you know, look into the types of survival patterns um that we're talking about. Um and of course people, you know, when they get the book they can really you know, dive into them in detail and find you know ways to become more empowered but let's let's go ahead and start and one of them is the victim pattern um so can you tell us a little bit um about that,
1: you know. Do you know anyone who likes to be called a victim? <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. So when I wrote this chapter, I thought, oh, my God, people are going to skip already the first chapter because they don't like to be called a victim. So I think it takes a little, you know, courage and self-awareness to realize, yeah, actually we do all have these people and situations in our lives that still somewhat make us feel victimized. You know, whether it was a brother that tortured you when you were little or it was, you know, these two friends that all of a sudden ganged up on you and didn't want to talk to you anymore. It really destroyed your whole high school time. And maybe it's your boss that you still feel like treats you badly and doesn't really recognize who you are. The problem with being in victim mode is that we're basically looking at ourselves as smaller and looking at ourselves as things are done to us. And and when we are expecting that they're going to happen again and again. And and being in victim mode is just one of the, the first and most disempowering ways of living Because it does make you avoid. It makes you avoid, you know, let's say you were a victim of something really horrific. You were abused as a child or you were going through, you know, some uh, very dramatic uh, breakup. Of course, there is a reason to feel like a victim because these bad things happen to you. But you don't have to take on the identity of a victim, But if you are living in that victim mode, you do feel like that whatever happens is against you. You feel that even your own emotions can become your perpetrator. Your anxiety can victimize you. God can victimize you. So living in victim mode is a way where we really shrink down and kind of hide out from the rest of life, really hoping, but somehow we're just going to make it through another day, not expecting much, and that is a a very disempowering way of looking at life. Yeah. Now,
0: I, I you know, when it comes to the idea of um, of feel of victimhood, um, you know, and the idea that one is subject to ex, you know, my my life is 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 subject to external factors, you know that that I'm powerless to control. Um, I, I, I mean, and, and I understand that that is a way to, in, in one sense, um, not to, to shirk responsibility, to to say that it's you know it's something else, someone else that caused me to experience life this way, and there's not a darn thing I can do about it, you know. And that's this the way that it is, you know blah 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 um now some um some folks I know <laughs> you know that that they it seems that they revel in victimhood, you know that the um the idea of being a victim um in a sense it makes them feel like uh they're um you know the world is against them you know and, and that it's there is not a, not a thing that can do it, and they want you to feel sorry for them for you know being a victim um so when it comes time to um if one feels you know that they're a victim what is it that? That can is it just awareness of of that that can help them shift from um feeling powerless to you know feeling em- empowered you know to do that I mean is it, you know because it seems like that's that's a shift that one would want to make you know to being able to to contribute and you know kind of you know, make, create the life that they want rather than have their life created for them.
1: I mean, the thing about being the victim is also that, you know, in in many ways, it is a very lonely existence because, you know, at the beginning, absolutely you get sympathy and you get some kind of support, but things often people want to help you to get out of the victim mode, but then you feel actually that, you know, they are, you know, becoming the perpetrators because all of a sudden they say, hey, you can do better, let's do this, you can try this. And as a victim, you don't want to. You feel actually more justified in blaming what happened to you and seeing yourself as powerless than all of a sudden someone having expectations of you and telling you that you should really get out of this That is something that often turns people away from you. People often feel like, well, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, uh, you get angry when I try to help you, so this is not necessarily something that I do want to subject myself to. And then, you know, sometimes victims end up also feeling that even the closest person in their life has left them and victimized them. And, uh, you know, so... So there is this kind of awareness of if I continue to live in this victim mode, I may actually really end up victimizing myself because I turn people against me, I continue to give my power to the past, and many victims also use a lot of blame and shame onto themselves. There is certainly something that especially people that did, get mistreated early on in their life. They often feel like, well, that's what I deserved. It was my fault, and it was my fault that I didn't get away from it and, uh, you know, that I let this happen, And and it's not a very empowering way of looking at this. I mean, it feels safer for the victim often to not try to be different, to not try to take a risk and put yourself out there, to not try to hope for something better. But it's certainly not a way of existing. It's a way of surviving but not necessarily thriving.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much. And and one of the other um survival patterns was um self responsibility and the key to owning your Actually past. that's and the key. Your...
1: Yes, that's the key. Yeah.
0: Oh that's that's a... the key
1: of okay. getting out of the victim mode, yes. Ah, okay. Great. So
0: owning your past, you know, just um just kind of accepting that, that, that it was past decisions, whether they're
1: good or bad.
0: Those were decisions that um, led you on the path.
1: Well, I think it's even more than accepting. See, I okay. see the past, especially something, you know, there is a process. It's called the disentanglement process. Uh, where you do go into more, you know, your conscious, subconscious collaborations. And when you go into this uh, process, you will actually see that the past is not necessarily exactly the way you used to see it. You know, there are things that you can learn from the past that before you never really realized. And in this process, you really face the person, that has victimized you. You're imagining that this person, you know, stands somewhere on a, on a stage of your life, and and you're simply seeing this person not as your perpetrator, but you see this person as your teacher. And you see yourself yeah. as this person's teacher, because in the end, we are all teachers and students for and of each other. And so then you are asking yourself, so. What is it what this person was actually teaching me? Now, if someone abused you, you feel like, well, I don't know. I, I feel like this person only caused me harm. But if you really mm-hmm. look closer, you could say like, wow, what this person taught me is how not to be. The bully that always, you know, scared me in school made me much more empathetic to the underdog and much more outspoken to help those that cannot help themselves or the person that never really got any kind of love and kindness from their home, you know, make you realize how important it is to keep your heart open and to do good things and be compassionate. A lot of people that were victimized don't realize that the victimization didn't change the core of who they were. They actually do have goodness. They didn't become just the perpetrator, because they feel like, well, if this was done to me, why, might as well just do it to someone else. And and just the realization also that there is an opportunity still to forgive whatever was done to you and let go of whatever you have been holding on to. I mean, these are two very important learnings in life. And see, you were asking about the victim before. Why do victims stay stuck well, one of the reasons is that they hope for an apology, subconsciously want the person who did them wrong to come and say, well, I can see how much you suffer. It was all my fault. I'm so sorry. Of course, it usually doesn't happen. But learning to let go, learning to take the power back and saying, this doesn't define me any longer. What defines me is who I became in spite of it. What defines me is who I am and not what has done to me. This is when we take responsibility for the past and realize no matter what happened, there's always our choice and our power to see it as something that we can grow from and to gain more information about who we really are. And this way also get more admiration for who we truly are. And then in the process you are letting go of those people that did make you feel like a victim and you are bringing all those learnings with you and I have to say I did this process myself with my parents and I did it. thank God when my parents were still alive and it really changed my relationship with them and uh, it was yeah, yeah it was, it's a very powerful process that I'm so happy to share yeah
0: that, that, that's wonderful it, um, and it's, it is good because you know, particularly with parents, you know, because so many of our beliefs are planted, you know, during, during our youth, you know, and, and they carry on. And, and you know, then to be able to um, get that, get get a, a clearer perspective, you know, then I would think would be able to um, empower one to, it makes it easier then maybe to shift those beliefs.
1: Yeah, and especially with parents, you know, so often how we treat our children is how we wanted to be treated by our parents. But how we treat ourselves is often how we were treated by our parents. So we can be really hard on ourselves, very conditionally accepting, very high expectations and very little reward. But then with the kids, we do just the opposite. And so it's, a, it's an interesting thing to be able to let go also and realize, well, this is changing also how I am treating myself because now I can give myself exactly that, what I give my children and that's what I always wanted. I don't have to wait any longer for, you know, this void that my childhood left to be filled by somebody else.
0: Yeah, yeah very much. Uh, now, one one of the other um, survivor patterns is the procrastinator <laughs> pattern. Um, I've, 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 I've kind of – I've had that happen, <laughs> and then I try to catch myself. I was like, wait a minute, you know, what are you doing here? Um, so tell us – I mean, because it seems like this is another one of those avoidance types of, of patterns.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, what do we avoid when we procrastinate? I mean, certainly, you know, on first glance is discomfort because whatever we don't want to do makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we rather do something else. You know, in the best case scenario, we are, you know, cleaning the refrigerator or changing the light bulb so that we can still feel somewhat productive. But what we really needed to do, we don't want to deal with or we watch youtube videos or you know just hang out and and do nothing because we want instant gratification but when we really go deeper and ask what are we really afraid of or what is it really driving the procrastination pattern there is something about failure there is something about not you know being able to perform or or you know having to to face something that You know, really we would blame ourselves, like, you know, bills that didn't get paid or we procrastinate about going to the doctor because we are afraid that the doctor looks at us and says, well, you get 20 pounds plus. I mean, that's what happened with you. And, you know, so we don't want to even listen to that. And so usually the important things that, you know, may have some kind of a potentially uncomfortable consequence, including failure, we like to procrastinate around and, you know, sometimes we procrastinate also because it brings us more visibility if we actually would succeed and we would actually do what we want to do. And it's a wonderful little shell that we go into and, you know, suck our thumbs and make ourselves feel better for a moment. But the awareness of how bad it feels afterwards. And how much it really takes away from our self-worth. That is what I, you know, point out in the book. Because if you are procrastinating, what you really do is constantly lying to yourself. Because you're constantly telling yourself, I'm going to do it, but then you don't. And you know, if someone else would do this, you would, you know, want to, have a, you know like a contractor come to your house and they would say I come tomorrow and do the job and they wouldn't show up and then they wouldn't show up and they wouldn't.
0: Well, sh- oh, at
1: some point you say I need to find another contractor. Well, you cannot break the contract with yourself, so you're stuck. And if you don't trust yourself, it's not a long way to feeling even more insecure and even more anxious and even worse about yourself. So that is one of the consequences of. Procrastination we have to be aware of. It does disconnect ourselves from the belief in ourselves. And there are simple ways to get out of it. And I show four different ways. And it's it's not hard to overcome procrastination when you use the key of self-reliance because then there's actually something in for you. You feel actually, oh, wow, I'm feeling stronger just by able to now start to rely on myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's great to be able to, and I I know when I when I have fallen into those patterns of procrastination, that that you know I just it just gets to the point it's like okay now wait a minute you know this has gone on too long you know let's just get this done what what you know again what is it that that you um, are afraid of or what what is it that Kind of, where is the resistance coming from? You know, where, you know, what is yeah. it that um, that I want? Now, um, in your book, you know, the first part of your book was taking inventory, which was kind of, you know, getting a handle on where one stands, you know, when it comes to these right. um, patterns. And then the the second part was taking responsibility, and we talked about some of the, the patterns in that. And then part three of your book is um, taking a stand. And this is the one where when it comes to you know being that uh people pleaser um the 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 chameleon pattern um the one that um, mm-hmm. kind of fits in um you know the chameleon you know i mean that is you know they're changing their colors and that is a survival technique um you know where where does uh where does it become a, a hindrance to to empowerment?
1: Well, I mean, you know, a, a classic chameleon is also someone who is very flexible, obviously. You know, they, they can smell immediately the energy in a room and can adjust and talk exactly what others want to hear and nod their heads to what other people say But ultimately they have no real, you know, sense of self and they have no opinion on their own. All they want is just to fit in. Now this doesn't need to necessarily go all across their existence, but I know that there are a lot of chameleons when it comes to the family of origin, you know, where all of a sudden they lose their sense of self, they lose you know what they are standing for, just because they don't want to necessarily have a conflict. They rather agree with a, you know, political views of the father or the the stepdad or whatever, because they feel like it's better to get some kind of an approval than uh, potentially get into some kind of a discussion or conflict and then get disapproval. and And that is where we are losing also our sense of our own values. And that can happen at work, you know, where you're just telling yourself, well, I guess I just have to, you know, agree with what the boss is doing. And uh, even though I don't really, you know, stand for whatever misogyny he is representing or the product we are making or whatever, it's like we are, we are selling ourselves easily out as the chameleon. And, and I think that is something, you know, a lot of people don't realize until they actually do it. You know, that for some reason the need to belong, the need to fit in makes them override so much. I see it especially in politics right now where there are so many people are just aligning with a, with a point of view even though it's fundamentally against their, you know, the goodness of their heart or the beliefs of, you know, that they grew up with just because they want to fit into that crowd they want to fit into. And and that's with young people, too, where, you know, the need to fit in is something that you can see even in, uh, you know, in, again, social media challenges where there is this, I, you know, lose my mind by wanting to have the coolest selfie or, you know, do the most exciting challenges and, you know, eat a whole spoon of cinnamon even though it makes me go later on to the emergency room just to have some kind of a sense of belonging. That is the communion in its extent. and, And since most of us have a hard time these days to feel good, enough about themselves, that to say, you know, I am who I am and I'm enough. That's not a concept necessarily that that people are grasping on. There is this need to be told, who do I need to be for you to like me or to include me or make me feel like, you know, I'm not alone, I'm a part of the tribe. And, and that's that, because I think, you know, we all have individual gifts and individual Contributions to make, and if we only try to fit in and blend in, we are certainly not uh, aware of this.
0: Yeah. So, and and I'm I'm glad that you, you know, mentioned the social media in the youth, because I, I think, you know, for parents, you know, it has to be a very uh, challenging. To deal with, you know, I mean, you know, in, in, in today's society, I mean, they're, you know, I mean, it, it does create huge pressure on, on the youth. Um, so, yeah. for parents who are listening, who have children who are kind of wrapped up in this need for approval, um, what, what are you know, some suggestions, maybe? you know, to help them, um, you know, enlighten their children, you know, as to maybe that's not, that shouldn't be such a high focus.
1: Well, I mean, as parents, it's really important to make this child curious about themselves again. You know, and for that, it needs to be more, every child needs space. Every child needs a certain amount of boredom. Every child needs a certain uh you know, place where they can just unconditionally exist and explore. And that's often what parents are not necessarily providing because, you know, there is this extracurricular activities or you have to do sports and then you have to go to music practice and then you're having to do your homework and then you're gonna fall in bed completely exhausted and then at six thirty you're gonna get back up and I mean, there is no room. So creating space and letting the child just be is a great idea. And then also letting the child explore in, this, in, in the book I'm talking about the good bits. You know, what are your good bits? What are the things that you really believe in? What are the things that you really know you have as a gift and a talent? Think about the things that you know make you you to be the best in everything you don't have to be the best in something you just have to know what it is what makes you your unique flavor and and encouraging kids to look at that encouraging kids to look at these personal qualities and and think about or help them think about what makes you happy what are like you know five of your happiest memories and why does this make you happy and what do you feel really proud of and why is it you know, what do you think, like, you know, you, you have inside of you that made you accomplish whatever you feel proud of? Or what is one of the hardest times in your life that you overcame? And, you know, you were in the hospital for six weeks, you know, with this broken leg. And what do you think made you go through this? What were your inner strengths that you could tap into? And, and that makes children aware of themselves. And that's how they build a self-worth through reflection and and introspection and admiration. I mean, you know, every child needs a parent to somehow see themselves better in. And if the parents are yeah. too conditionally acceptant or too busy, well it's hard for the child to find this and so they are grabbing more to, you know, TikTok or whatever and and not necessarily to themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much. You know, in in you know, the idea of Um, giving the children the space to be able to, you know, explore and and find themselves. I mean, it's one of those areas that, like you say, you know, in this hyperactive, uh, you -hmm. know, hyper-stimulated, you know, kind of environment that we have that it's you know, there's very little room for silence, you know, and reflection and contemplation and those kinds of things that, yeah. that are important. My goodness. So, gosh, we well, it doesn't the have to story. be
1: even, you know, am so, yeah. sorry, just quickly, that it doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, extreme, but it can be just more simple, you know, like a simple walk in nature, a simple you know a uh, meal together without screens uh, a simple mm-hmm. just talk it's you know in the evenings to to connect i mean there are, it doesn't have to be like necessarily 30 minutes of meditation but yeah mm-hmm. let's just not get so distracted
0: yeah yeah and, and you know be aware that uh you know of not passing on to one's children, you know, some of the, mm-hmm. um, the challenges, the survival patterns that, that we may have employed for our in our use, you know, to to make sure that we don't pass them on. Um, so, guys, we're down to the end of the show, Dr. Peterson. So, you know, what is it that you How hope that, happen? That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that people are going to um, get from reading the Empowerment Solution?
1: Sorry, I didn't hear the question. There again,
0: <laughs> sorry for that. I say, what, what is it? What is it that you hope that the the readers will, will take away from reading the empowerment mm-hmm. solution? Being empowered?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but empowered in a way, you know, empowered is often misunderstood as having maybe power over something or over someone, but or being always in control. You know, what empowerment really means is that you have a deep authentic relationship with yourself and that you do feel that you are the creator of your life and that you can lead yourself through life according to meaning, joy, purpose, and always quest for more discovery, more growth, and ultimately a greater sense of happiness with yourself. So for the readers, I would love for you to take this book as, as I said before, uh, an opportunity to rewrite your owner's manual, to understand there are keys that can unlock the potential inside of you that you may have had when you were little, but somehow you forgot and somehow you suppressed and, and coming back to your authentic wholeness, that is what the book can offer you.
0: Yeah, that's great. You, you 2.0. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, exactly. Thank you for your time today. I've enjoyed our our chat, and and, uh, your your book really gives one a lot to think about. Um, You know, as I was going through it, I not only recognized patterns in my life, but also others around me, and it helped me understand, you know, better you know, the behaviors of people around me, which in in turn helps me be able to um, have a better relationship. So I really wanted to thank Mm -hmm. you for your time in your
1: book. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure talking with you.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. Friedman Schaub, and we have been talking about his book, The Empowerment Solution, Six Keys, to Unlocking Your Full Potential with the Subconscious Mind. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is drfriedemann.com, and that's dot ncom And on his website, you'll see so many um, useful um, references and resources for you to be able to explore. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch